Well, as you know, we've been doing a series of testimonies. We're hearing from a member of our Calvin community who went through a difficult season in life, and they're, gonna do, they're talking about how they did that and how God showed up or didn't show up. And then uh, they present a scripture passage that was important to them during that time, and then I offer a short uh, message based on that scripture passage so that the scripture passage that sustained them can be a gift that sustains us. And uh, you may notice that my voice is a little uh, rough tonight. That's because I was slightly over-enthusiastic at the USA-Canada hockey game that I was at on Friday night. So, USA! Um, Yes. We won. We love all God's people. Anyway. That's why my voice is hoarse. So now, friends, let's welcome our president and our brother, Michael Leroy. Hello, everyone. How are you? They're all good. They're good over here. They're good. You guys are, They're good. You guys are thinking about running the marathon, right? That's, <laughs> that's right. Awesome. They're all in. Yeah, that's great. They're I'm, all I in. I knew I was going to get tangled up in this chair, but okay. Yep. You good? I'm good. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Thank, thank you. you for thank your you willingness. Thank you for inviting me. It's wonderful. To do this. He was a very quick respondent when I sent emails out to a bunch of people, and uh, he was very willing, um, so we're really glad that you're able to do this. And uh, Michael's going to begin by telling us a story of his senior year of high school and his first year of college and what was going on in him then, and then we'll just have a conversation back and forth. So Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I feel like to, to explain a little bit about this, I uh, need to start giving you a, a bit of an idea of what kind of kid I was, what kind of high school kid I was. I am very adventuresome. I'm uh, willing to try anything. Um, I'm... I, I'm also really, I, I was the oldest child, so I was very good with adults, so I was good at like, um, you know, being polite and saying the right thing, not saying the wrong thing too often, and I was a rascal, too, um, still kind of am a little bit, uh, um, but I, but all of those things, and, and there's, there's actually a, it's a little sermon that I give when I go speak in high school chapels that's more about that stage of my life, um, and I could tell you more about that. But, um, but I became a Christian in middle school years. Uh, I remember it, it very clearly accepting Christ and really believing um, that commitment that I made, and I think it was sincere um, profession of faith at the time. Uh, I, don't, I had no idea of all the implications and the claim that God would have on my life then, um, but uh, I was real engaged with my youth group, very engaged in my church. I, I lived on a little island in the Puget Sound. I went to high school with a thousand students, and um, everybody knew everybody. And there was, and if you know, if you saw anyone who was 17, you knew you knew who they were. They were unless they were coming from out of town to play your team or whatever. You know, it was so. It was a, it was a community where everyone knew everyone. Um, so it was also a community where you, if you are good at interacting with adults and talking to adults, and you get good at presenting a veneer of, um, of respectability. So I would have said, people would have described me as a good kid, um, but I was a rascal. <laughs> and by my senior year, those things kind of diverged a little bit, and I started to, 
I started to really kind of have a dual life. I had a life for public consumption, um, for others to see, that, and then I had uh, the rascally part of my life um, that, that uh, I, I now, when I talk to high school students, I kind of say that's my Snapchat life. <laughs> because Snapchat is you can put anything out there and then, it's, and then send it to who you want to see it and then it's gone, right? So, I could, so that's kind of the life I was living. I was like, you know, showing up for church, really engaging. Now, my, the associate pastor of my church was totally on to me. And, um, and, and I asked, I also really, I listened to the sermons. I would ask tough questions. Um, I would uh, act up toward the back. I don't know why my parents let me do this, but they let me sit with the youth toward the back. And the associate pastor then would sit with me when the pastor was preaching. And then when he was preaching, he would move me up to the front so, to sit with him. So he kind of knew, you know, that, that I was trouble. But he also knew that I asked, I asked, uh, I think I was really curious, but I was asking some hard questions. Um, I, was, I was wondering, if God is a good God and created all things, why would he have ever allowed sin into the world? Um, and a whole host of other common, I think, intellectual questions. Why does God allow suffering? Although I didn't really know suffering like I would later know it and see it. So that was, they, were, they were kind of academic questions to me. So I was having, I was, you know, going along, kind of living this dualistic life. He challenged me to attend a Christian college. I think he knew that he knew, and it's, when I look back, one of the ways that I know that God's had a hold on me is he put people in my life who challenged me and pushed me in some important ways. And so I took, took that seriously. I ended up um, deciding to go to a Christian college. Um, but I had, I had really so effectively started living a dual life. My senior year, I was, you know, I was... I was going to parties, and I wasn't just observing. Um, <laughs> my, parent, I, my parents still don't know. I hope they're not watching. Um, <laughs> so, no, I, I think my dad's a law enforcement officer, so I think he also was starting to figure it out too. So, um, and he's very good at cross-examination. So that's another story as well. Um, but uh, but I, I, I really was living this dual life, and then... Um, and then uh, some of my friends started to get into, involved in some really serious stuff that, that really I, I knew I couldn't do. And, and um, so, so some of them, a couple of them were using cocaine, some of them were using marijuana. And that was, my dad was a drug enforcement officer. So that was a line I just wasn't going to cross. But it didn't mean that I wasn't involved in some stuff that I shouldn't have been involved in as an 18-year-old, 17-year-old. Um, but what that meant is that Pretty much I lost all my friends in my senior year. The people I was hanging around with, I suddenly was very alone. So that was one of the things. This, um, about my faith, uh, another feature of me was I listened to the sermons. I asked a lot of questions. I was very intellectual in my faith. I knew a lot of the right answers. And I thought that if you knew the right things, that that would be enough to sustain you. I didn't really know the love of God when when. Scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, that, was, a, that was something I could parrot, I, uh, but I didn't really know what that meant for me personally. didn't really understand the love of God. Um, and, and so as you can imagine, I was starting to feel a little farther from God. And then, my, and, then, uh, and then there were some tough things. My grandparents, I had two grandparents of my four who were alcoholics. One... Um, 
reformed and um, he would say he still is an alcoholic, but he was in a process of recovery. Um, and he did, he did some horrible things in his life that really affected my grandmother. It was hard for me to, to love him or really understand him very well. And then um, my grandmother was an alcoholic who for 20 years tried to get into recovery and with relapse and recovery and relapse. And my father, I watched him suffer through that whole series of circumstances and consequences and um, and it was it was my grandmother's husband my grandfather that's funny how that works um, he he was a very good man long-suffering faithful um, his name his name even his name is true man he Truman he really was a true man <laughs> and um, faithful loving very quiet very good to me and um, in my senior year I was just finishing up and we went on a family vacation to the East Coast, and we got word um, that he wasn't doing very well. But by the end of that vacation, he died of cancer. Um, it was uh, very sudden and very shocking. And so for the first time in my life, I saw my father cry. And I had to grieve, and I had never had an experience like that. And I think the other thing I'll admit, the other thing that I'll admit, is I was, I was angry at God for that. But I was angry that my God didn't, take my grandmother because that would have alleviated a lot of difficulty and so I confess that here <laughs> but those were some of the things that were going on inside me and I didn't really I didn't really know uh, that all that was kind of simmering inside me I mean I knew I was dealing with stuff so that's that's the Michael that showed up to college <laughs> and a Christian college and um, and I started to feel uh, like, okay, I'm in this new place and I can kind of, who do I want to be? <laughs> do I want to be the Snapchat Michael? That's not the good Michael. <laughs> or do I want to be this other person that I present? And that also felt false. And, um, and, and I was kind of struggling with that. There were some, some very committed Christians on my floor. Um, and you're going to think, though, that's the good part of the story. But that's not the good part of the story. <laughs> Um, these were people that uh, s- said, you know, they invited me right away to the hall Bible study and the, f- the floor activities and that sort of thing, and I went. Um, and I remember saying in that context of that group when we were introducing ourselves, I said, you know, for the first time, I said, I got a lot of questions about faith. I'm not so sure. And the leader of the group said, well, this is a group for people who have it figured out and know that they're committed to the Lord. <laughs> so if you want to be with us this is what we're about and I thought yeah I'm not about that so I don't belong here um, but instead of and I don't really want to make this about them this was, this was uh, then led me to be very cynical cynical about Christians um, angry at God um, this, there was a lot of turmoil going on here, and that cynicism really bred a kind of posture in my moral life. I don't care. That was the posture. I don't care. And so, I've, as you can imagine, I found a different group <laughs> that valued I don't care. And, um, and really, that whole first year, I did, did well in school, but I, um, 
And I made some good friends who were really good people who stuck with me, but I also was around some people that weren't good for me. Um, I was not a person of integrity, but more deep, deeper than that, I was cynical. I had, I had really sharpened the skill of a scathing comment that could make people laugh. That was, in fact, I was really good at that. And there are times and there are certain people in my life that I like to have fun with now that are also like that. And I can see it sort of coming out of me you know, like, bleh, it's going <laughs> to, I have to, and then I have to tell that person that, that, like, this is a side of me that I've worked really hard to kind of, um, my sanctification process has been partly about domesticating that, that being, and so we don't want to, we don't have, want to have him around, so, um, but it was, a, it was a really difficult time, uh, cynical, um, negative, and, but I had an experience toward the end of that year. Actually, I encountered the chaplain, a man who's still a good friend of mine, 95 years old now. Um, and he said, he said to me, has anyone ever explained to you about the love of God? The love of God. Because I was actually, I was sitting with him and I was meeting with him over lunch. I didn't know he was the chaplain. And then he was asking me a lot of questions and I was telling him all the reasons that I hated Christians. And I hadn't even really decided I wasn't a Christian yet. But Mary would have loved being this chaplain. <laughs> and when I discovered his, that he was the chaplain, I was so shocked later because I realized he didn't respond the way I thought he would. You don't belong. He didn't respond that way. He listened to me and he, he said, do you, do you know that the love of God is not about feeling? That was the other thing, is I had been led to believe by this group of people that you had to feel the right thing. You know how you feel when somebody says they have a, like, you, somebody you like and they say, oh, I have a crush on you, I like you too. You know that feeling? You, you know what I'm talking about? Come on, come clean. <laughs> Makes you feel really good. I thought that I was supposed to feel that and that if, because I didn't feel that, because that I didn't know the love of God and that I would never know the love of God. I thought it was a feeling. What he told me was he explained to me a God, he said, your God's been after you from the moment you were born. And your God has been after you in your baptism. Your God has been after you through the horrible things that you've witnessed and, and the horrible things that you've done. And your God's still after you. Well, that didn't change at all in a heartbeat. Um, I went off to Central America that set my second year in school. And he was one of the people, the faculty that went along on the program. And I still remember him. We dug a ditch all day in Guatemala uh, for eight hours. This, is, this guy was like 65, and he was getting it done. And, um, and I was continuing to tell him how I felt that I couldn't understand the love of God. I couldn't understand this love of God. And so I really couldn't. I, I hadn't rejected Christ, but I just I didn't know where I was. He said, God will, he, when he left me, he, he left our group, and then we went off into these homestays um, experiences, and I was placed in an orphanage, um, Honduran boys. And he said to me as he left, he said, I'm, I'm leaving, but, you know, God's going to stay after you this whole time and uh, your whole life. And so there I was in this orphanage on uh, Ash Wednesday, and it was an Episcopal orphanage, and... All the staff were committed Christians, and I'd, I had heard for weeks the stories of these boys abandoned by their parents, whose parents had died, these boys, and they were 
elementary school kids. So I was seeing immense suffering and hearing the horror of their stories. And what was amazing is these boys all lined up on Ash Wednesday and what was said to them as the ashes were imposed on their head, and I was just hanging back watching, is you are but dust and to dust you will return, but your Lord will always love you and that dust. And I'm at the back of the room and I decided to get in line. Because <laughs> what the story was, it didn't matter, it didn't matter what I had done, what I had not done, that this God was going to stay after me for the rest of my life. Now, I still, my life, my life, faith journey, in fact, I had another friend tell me, a good friend said to me, maybe the task for you, your whole life is just going to be struggling with what it means to be loved by God. And he's been right. That's been my story the whole time. But God has put amazing people in my life that have helped me learn more about the unconditional love of God. See this? What is this? It's, no, it's not the ring of power. Um, <laughs> it's a wedding ring. Um, and actually, I met a friend later in my college years uh, who's now my wife, Andrea. And she has taught me more about unconditional love. And in fact, it was in that friendship, her teaching me about unconditional love. She could know the worst things about me and still love me. That helped me to learn a lot about the, the way that God works. God knows all, all about us, the worst parts, even the parts that we can't admit to ourselves. And that doesn't stop God at all. God still loves us. And so my life journey and my life story, it's really not been this kind of moment of, of realization of this. I still, even in this year, I could, if we had more time, um, I could tell you moments where I really am thinking that I'm not worth, I'm not worth God's love. And then um, I, now what I, I'm now aware of that. <laughs> and I say, okay, God, I'm feeling this way again. I need a little help. Um, and so what I, have, what I have learned over time that more of my life now is about putting myself in the way of God. So worship apprentices, when I come here and you are leading us, I'm putting myself in the way of God and you're helping me to experience the love of God. And I thank you for that. Um, students, when I meet you on campus, I have students, you, you guys, some of, them, some of you are here, they stop me and they say, can I pray for you? Like right now? That shows me the love of God. And sometimes that's happened on days when, when they were really tough, really tough. When we suffer the great loss of Tara and we ask why and we say, Lord, have mercy, and then we hear and see stories of students taking care of each other. When I see the chaplain staff up in the middle of the night taking care of each other and taking care of you, it reminds me of the love of God. This can't have happened by accident, all of this. This, is a, a, this miracle of the love of God is the central part of the gospel story. And so... If, if I want you to know anything from this is that God loves you and if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure how, God will continue to be after you. I guarantee it. And I pray that you would have ears to hear it and eyes to see it. And so uh, when the Romans passage we're going we're gonna to hear about in a minute, verses 38 and 39 are the ones that I come back to all the time whenever I'm off the path um, and thinking that I'm 
that I'm separate from the love of God. So. Thank you for that. Yeah. Was there ever, um, did you ever look to God or argue with God or look to him for something when you were in that season? Yeah, I was, I was asking for that feeling that I thought mm-hmm. I was supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I thought if I just had that, that would be the reassurance I would need and I could do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah. But I didn't really, I, that's because that, at that time I understood love as a feeling. And that, that really good feeling you feel when somebody says they love you, um, that is gratitude. <laughs> that's not love. Love is a mm-hmm. long commitment long obedience in the same direction. When you were in that season, um, you had that Bible study leader who wasn't helpful. What other things did people do that were helpful and what things did people do that was hurtful? You know, I look back on that and the people that became my friends who are still my friends were the ones who, um, I'm going to see one of them this summer, Uh, she was a person who... uh, would laugh with me, could listen for a long period of time, hung in there, didn't need, didn't need to be right, hmm. didn't need to correct me. And I said some really horrible things about Christians, and I said horrible things, um, not, not about her, because she was, she was really good to me, um, but about other people. She listened to a lot, and um, she, they, just, they were all the people who just kind of hung in there with me, and what they did is they were just continuing to love me in spite of who I was. <laughs> they were the ones that hung in there with me. They didn't, so if you're in that situation, you don't have to say the right thing. You don't have to come up with the wise words. Just be committed. And um, that, tells the, that tells the story. That, that actually is the witness of what God's done for us. Mm-hmm. Be committed. So often these wounds in our stories God uses um, in ways that we can help other people who've been similarly wounded or uh, hurting in other ways. How have you seen him redeeming your story by how he uses it in other people's lives? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, th- I think that I have a deep understanding of, um, and a real passion to engage with students who are struggling and especially the, one, the angry ones. I kind of like those. <laughs> I can kind of relate to that, or the, the ones who are cynical, but that they, they really are wanting a relationship. So part of that I see in my own self was a strategy to push people away. Mm-hmm. That's part of what I was doing. And so people that could stay there anyway um, were teaching me something about the love of God. And so, um, so that's taught me a bit about um, those. I like the students who are... I like all the students, uh, but I, I, um, I really am, I feel like I can be most helpful to those that are, um, that are kind of bucking the system, mm-hmm. so, um, and because, because uh, I, I know what that's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you talked, uh, you referred to the Romans 8 passage, which we're going to look at in just a minute, and uh, for those of you who don't have it memorized, um, verses 38 and 39 say, um, Nothing will separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth nor powers nor principalities, angels, demons, rulers, anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. What, um, when did you stumble onto that verse and how did it kind of sink into you? 
Well, it was when I was shoveling dirt with Ron Fraze, and, um, and he, he said, do you think that anything will ever separate you from the love of God coming after you? Hmm. And I said, yeah, <laughs> all kinds of things. And he said, no, nope, nothing will ever separate you from that. And I said, how do you know? <laughs> and he said, well, and then he, he just, he, from memory, he, he said, that's in the book of Romans, Romans 8. And I'd heard it before, but you know how you don't, you hear it and then you hear it. I didn't have ears to hear it when I heard it. Um, but I had ears to hear it then. Um, and so that, that was the first time. But, it, but notice the way that he did that. He said, do you think that anything can separate you from the love of God? And he asked a question. And I committed. <laughs> yes, I think something can. And then, um, and then in, in it wasn't that he read the scripture and I went, oh, okay. Um, but he said, he said uh, um, and I said, well, there's all kinds of examples of things that separate us from God. And he said, what, what examples are you looking at? <laughs> so he also encouraged me to look at the ways in my life God was continuing to pursue me. And that's what he wanted me. He kept saying, did you see something yesterday that indicated that God was pursuing you? What, what was good yesterday? I said, well, it was an amazing sunset. He said, that's a way that God loves us. And he started pointing out all these ways that God loves us. We were, we were the guests of a, of a Campesino family, and um, they, he, you know, and I really love this family. He knew it, and he said, you know, when you come in, they all smile. They give you, even though you want the low seat, they give you the best seat. Um, they, he says, they love you. Um, why? You know, that's only possible because God loves you and God loves them. You know, so he, what he did is he started pointing out all those things. So different, this, the behavior pattern for a cynic is to look, at all, to, to look at all things through a negative lens. That's what cynicism is. Um, and the devil loves that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so this was looking at all things through the Christ-like lens. And uh, the devil hates that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Will you pray with me for Michael? Lord, we praise you for this testimony that we have heard. We are so grateful that you have pursued him again and again and again, that you've never let him go. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you continue to do your work in his life so that he not only sees it, but he believes it deep, deep, deep in him, that he is truly, madly, deeply loved by you. And we pray that for us all and particularly for those who are angry, cynical, bitter. Pursue us. Mm -hmm. Pursue us. And we pray this in the name of our Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's thank Michael. Let's take a look for a couple of minutes at this Romans passage. It's page 919. The black books are the Bibles. Page 919, Romans 8. We'll read from 31 to 39. Romans 8. 
What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? It's Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So you look at this list of things, and while we know, because it says so, that they won't separate us from the love of our God, We are very aware, though, that when we encounter these things, they certainly test our love, don't they? We experience these deep sorrows and we say, is there really a loving God, really? We watch the news, chemical weapons in Syria, a bombing in Stockholm. This morning, people like us gathered together for worship in Cairo, Palm Sunday, Church is full, a bomb goes off, today. And we think, really? There's a loving God? Really? And it's not just out there, right? It's it's here, it's in here. Our psychiatrist changes the meds and they make no difference. Our parents tell us that they're separating and most likely going for a divorce. We get that call in the middle of the night that tells us someone we love is gone. We say, really? You want me to believe that there's a loving God? Really? Because if you believe in a loving God and you live in this messed up world and you don't ask hard questions, and you don't have seasons of doubt, then you're not paying attention. Because life is hard. And sometimes it seems like God is far away. In this book, Romans, it's a letter. Paul, the apostle, the missionary, wrote it to the people in a church in the city of Rome. And it's a letter that's been beloved by the church God actually used Romans to convert Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley, among others. And that's because Romans is so clear about what our problem is. And our problem isn't war, it's not mental health issues, it's not relationships. Our problem is sin. Sin is the thing that separates us from God. God is holy. He cannot abide evil. 
And every time we choose evil over good, we're just accentuating the separation between us and God. Every time you lie to your mom, every time you cheat on a quiz, every time you steal something from your housemate, every time we choose evil over the good, we're highlighting, accentuating, living into the separation that is there between a holy God and a sinful people. So Paul, in the beginnings of Romans, he's very clear, like, this is your problem, people. We are messed up. We are sinful, and there's nothing we can do. We have summits to move people toward peace, and we have an entire healthcare industry that tries to get people healthy, but we can't fix our sin problem. We can't fix that because we are the problem. So Paul says that's where we're at. That's where it is. But then in Romans 3, he writes this amazing thing. He says, but get this. While we were still sinners, still choosing evil over good, while we were still deep in the weeds of sin, while we were still sinning, Jesus died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, he says. And there are times when he's writing the book of Romans where he just stops and he breaks out in song because he can't believe that God loves his people so much that he's willing to sacrifice his son. He can't believe that Jesus loves us so much that he did this willingly, that he went to the cross and he laid down his life so that that separation between God and his people would no longer be there and he would bring us together again. And so by the time he gets to Romans 8, that's why he says, well, what are we going to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, for us to the point where he's willing to lay down his life, well, then the one threat we actually have for separation has been neutralized. That's the thing that could have done it, and it's not going to do it. So Paul says all these other things that could do it, they're not going to do it either. Every one of the things in this list contest our love for God. Nothing in the list contest God's love for us. Because as the book of Romans says, as all of scripture says, God's love for us is eternal, it's everlasting, it's persistent, it runs after us and it doesn't let us go. A year ago for spring break, uh, on one of the days we went to an amusement park and I uh, buckled into that, that Tower of Terror ride, you know, the one where they take you up and then they just drop you, right? So I put on this little belt and I have the little harness thing and it takes us up to the top. And this particular ride had a special flair that I was not anticipating. Before it dropped you, it tipped you forward. Yeah, the, I said something like that. And I'm looking at the ground and staring at my death. And I'm holding on for dear life to these little handles right here because I'm like, oh, I've got on this little like, oh, seatbelt thing. I'm saying, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Ah! That's me the whole time. The whole time. I have a witness. 
That was me the whole time, screaming the whole way down. We get to the bottom, and we do this, and I'm like, and my hands are like, we can let go now. Let's go. Let's go. And I was like, Because I was convinced that if the worst case, if that belt broke, it was up to me and my little hands. It was all in my hands. I had to hold on. It was all up to me. Now, you and I both know that if something had happened, that would not have worked. (laughs) And we also know that even though that belt seemed very flimsy in the moment, it had been tested time after time before they even put human beings in the machine. It had all been tested. I wasn't really in any danger, even though, man, did it feel like it. And that's the life of faith. We get pulled up and we think, oh, I've done this before, this is going to be fine. And we hold on because we think it's all in my hands. I've got to figure this out. I've got to solve this problem. I've got to do the right thing to make the right result. If I just pray more, if I just read more, if I stop praying, If I get cynical, certainly, it's all in my hands, it's up to me, I can do it. And what the book of Romans tells us again and again and again is, it's not about you holding, it's about the God who holds on to you. The God who never lets you go. The God, as Michael said, who runs after you again and again and again and again. So if you're in a season of doubt or you've got a friend who is, this is your place right here. Come on in. Because we will sing for you if you can't sing. And we will pray for you if you can't pray. If you can't keep the faith, let the faith keep you. Because our God is a God who holds us fast and never lets us go.